Good morning, ladies. My name is Erin Cudworth, and I just want to thank you for being here today and for your commitment to studying God's Word. First, I would like to ask you to join me as we honor the Lord by standing for the reading of His Word. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, for their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but in being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man, And with him we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and our boasting about you of these men. Thank you, ladies. You may be seated. Wow, that was a lot, wasn't it? (laughs) When I first read this passage in preparation for my lesson, my first reaction was, what is this even saying? I'm sure some of you thought the same. When Susan and Pam asked me to teach again, I said yes, partly out of obligation, but mostly because I remember how blessed I was after intentionally studying the word and preparing a lesson. I'm so glad that I did because this passage has revealed so much to me about practical gospel living. First, I'd like to remind us about what was going on at the time Paul was writing this. He writes 2 Corinthians about a year after that he wrote 1 Corinthians. When I picture what Paul was like writing this, I picture a weary, worn-down man who faced lots of persecution. He's struggling. 
He's hungry. He's exhausted from the woes of ministry. And he probably needed a really long nap, which I can relate to. (laughs) He just had to write a a heart-wrenching letter to the Corinthians, calling them out for the sin. Jeffrey Guthrie says in his talk about 2 Corinthians with with Nancy Guthrie's, Teach Me How to Teach the Bible. We, were, we need to remember that Paul writes 2 Corinthians. He is not sitting in the library with a latte. He's in the world. He's in the middle of ministry. He's caught up in all kinds of itinerant ministries. He's moving from place to place. Think about how challenging it would be to be responsible as the main leader of a church, and you can't even get to them. He's often traveling, likely by foot. He talks about being away from them, then being present. And it's an ongoing conversation. He was there, but now he's not there. So Paul's giving these biblical principles to the Corinthians that they should be upholding while he's away. So here's this man who is going through all these sufferings, writing this letter back to the Corinthian church. And then Titus shows up. Titus, Paul's partner and fellow worker. The one who we later read has the same earnest care that Paul has for them. In chapter 7, we read that Titus comes and brings great news of the church's godly repentance and that his spirit has been greatly refreshed by them. How encouraging this must have been for Paul to keep fighting the good fight. Now that the Corinthians are repentant, Paul encourages them in this chapter to act on this repentance by being obedient. My ESV study Bible says this, Repentance expresses itself in holiness, which is defined as a purity-producing love for God and his church and a unity-creating love for one's neighbor. You cannot show love to your neighbor simply by saying, hey man, love ya, you know, waving across the fence. If I knew that you were struggling and I didn't come alongside you and physically help you with those burdens, lift those burdens from you, what good would it do? Paul is saying that true godly repentance leads to action. Chapter 8 can be broken down into three main points. Generous giving is an act of grace. Second, Paul's encouragement for the Corinthian church to finish what they had started. And third, finally, how to handle finances and ministry. We're going to spend the bulk of the time on this first point in verses 1 through 9. And then... We're going to bring out some great insights on the other section towards the end. So this brings me back to my original question. What is Paul even talking about? We find here that he's talking about a collection that he wants them to finish taking. The collection was for the Christians in Jerusalem who were impoverished and struggling very badly. These Christians were ostracized from their family. Matthew 10, 34 through 36 says this. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Chuck Swindle says this, In Jerusalem and Judea, most of the same Jewish authorities and institutions that had sent Jesus of Nazareth to the cross still had held power. To be a follower of Jesus under that regime had moved from uncomfortable to excruciating. As a result of the persecution, many Jewish Christians had no work. Who would hire for purchase goods from a heretic Christian? 
Without work, they had no money. Without money, they had no food. Remember, this wasn't some, just some small house church. There were thousands, tens of thousands of Christians in Jerusalem. We find that in Acts 2 and in Acts 4, where there's 5,000, there's 3,000 more believers. This church was also started about 20 years ago at this point. Could you imagine facing such long-standing and fierce persecution from all of society, your family, your friends, your coworkers, neighbors, and your government? Everyone was against them. They had to pay taxes not only to Rome, but also to the Jews at the time. Above all that, they had also faced a famine that we learn about in Acts 11, which left them totally destitute. Paul saw all that they were going through and had so much compassion for them. Remember that this is where Paul is from. Historically, the Corinthian church had pledged to complete this collection. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul responds to some questions that they had about it. So clearly, they had reached out to him asking questions about the collection, and he's responding here in 1 Corinthians. He says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. He had laid out clear directions on what to do for this collection. Each person was to give out of their abundance every week. They were supposed to do this over the last year so that they didn't have to rush to get a collection together when Paul arrived. It would have been all ready to go. The Corinthian church likely was not obedient to Paul. Since they were doubting his apostleship, they likely were doubting the usage of these funds as well. Paul, encouraged by their repentance, ends chapter 7, saying that he has confidence in them, especially to finish what they had started doing for the kingdom. He launches into chapter 8, hoping to encourage them to finish the good work. And I just want to note here, too, since they were not obedient in this collection, Paul knows this, um... I think there's an ability, um, I think it's, it's pretty likely for them to have experienced a good bit of shame as far as this goes. But Paul, like I said, knowing that they're repentant now, um, doesn't come to them to shame them. He doesn't come to them to, you know, demand these funds for them. He just wants to encourage them to finish what they had started and to say, hey, When you finish this, you are going to encourage so many other people and you yourself are going to be encouraged by the way that the Lord works here. So Paul uses two primary examples to encourage them in this generous kingdom giving. The Macedonian church and Jesus' ultimate sacrifice on the cross. He begins with the Macedonian church. The Macedonia was in northern Greece and consisted of the cities such as Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Corinth was in the southern region of Greece called Achaia. The Macedonian churches were going through intense persecution and extreme poverty. We read in verses 1 and 2, it says, we, know, we want you to know, brother, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in the severe test of affliction, 
Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This seems kind of backwards, right? How could people who have nothing be generous with the little that they have? Let's continue reading until verse 7. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in speech, in faith, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace as well. By giving themselves first to God, they begged Paul for the favor of the relief of the saints. Out of their abundance of joy, they considered their given giving, partaking in the grace of God. I was talking to my friend the other day about some struggles that I've been having with my 18-month-old son, Maverick. You see, he's so different than our three-year-old, Graceland, that sometimes we have no idea how to discipline him. We have no idea how to, um, how to, you know, put him on the correct path. She graciously reminded me about the verse that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This was in Matthew 6, 33. In parenting, just like in everything, we need to act. We need to seek his kingdom first so and trust <clears throat> and trust that God will take care of the rest. We see this dynamic play out with the Macedonian church. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then their abundance of joy was added onto them. Instead of looking inward at all the things that was going wrong in their church, how their circumstances could have been more ideal, they could have had more food, less persecution maybe, they instead were filled with joy that overflowed so abundantly that they begged Paul to be part of this collection. As I was studying, I noticed that Paul also mentions the word earnest or earnestly multiple times in this, in chap, in this chapter. I find it fitting to mention what it means at this point in the message. A quick Google search tells us that the word earnest means to act promptly with haste, urgency, or with diligence. So not only did their, the Macedonians give out of their abundance of joy, but they earnestly or with urgency requested to be part of this collection. They likely knew what it was like to be in such desperate need of relief, and it stirred within them a desire to aid their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> he also talks about how they gave according to their means and above their means. I mean, what is ours anyways? Everything was created by God and is only given to us to be stewards over. They seem to really understand this concept. Though Paul did not ask them to give an excess, they did so anyways, sharing in part with the sufferings of Christ. And overall, we see that the Macedonian church was a church that the Corinthian believers could look to as an example of what it was like to be repentant. They show us that a repentant church will have an outward expression of the fruits of the Spirit. As James talks about, their faith would lead them to action. Secondly, Paul gives, a, gives the example of Jesus Christ's ultimate gift on the cross. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The term he's using for grace here is translated into charis, which means undeserved or unmerited favor or a cause for delight. There is no greater generosity than to give your life for the salvation of the world, and that's exactly what Jesus did. No greater undeserved favor. I love what the Bible Project comments about this. <clears throat> Paul is telling the story of the gospel through financial metaphors. Jesus gave up his glorious honor, or wealth, and he lowered himself to die like a poor slave, so that other people who are impoverished through sin and death, can be exalted and become wealthy through the riches of God's grace. To be a Christian is to let this story sink deep into your mind and heart, letting it transform you into someone who is more generous, more willing to share your life and resources to help others. What a beautiful paradox. In verses 10 through 15, Paul encourages them to, to finish the work that they had started. We know that the Corinthian church abounded in so much. They were affluent, and Paul says that they abounded in faith, good teaching, knowledge, sincerity, and love. So there really was not much that they were in need of. And Paul wants to be perfectly clear. He does not tell them about the Macedonian church in order to get them to give until it hurts. He just wants them to give out of their abundance. They were so worried with their own internal affairs false teaching, unrepentant sin, etc., that they weren't concerned with the things going on with other churches. Paul beautifully says this in verses 13 through 14, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Basically, give out of your present abundance to help them, because you have no idea when you'll need help, and they will be able to help you out of their abundance. God will always provide for you, and in so many ways, he does this through the obedience of his church. I've seen this so many times in my own life as well. There has been many times where we have been in need, and the Lord has provided more than we could have asked, imagined, or thought of using his church body. In fact, there are many in this room that have been those hands and feet of Jesus toward us. Paul wraps up chapter 8 by giving the Corinthian church confidence. Hmm, sorry, I lost my spot. <laughs> Paul wraps up chapter 8 by giving the Corinthian church confidence in how he will handle this collection and an example to us on how finances should be handled in ministry. He first recommends Titus as well as two other women. I mean, sorry, <laughs> not women, men, two other men <laughs> that have proven themselves faithful stewards of the gospel. He draws our attention to the fact that only qualified people should handle financial responsibilities. To us, our qualifications for someone who handles finances would probably, I don't know, have a finance degree. Someone who is interested in investments. Maybe they work at a bank. The list could go on. Maybe you think of someone on the corporate ladder who will do anything to get ahead. Maybe you even think of someone who is willing to extort money or just, you know, skim some from the top. However, in true gospel fashion, God flips what would be cultural nor culturally normal and elevates those who have been humbled. These men that Paul recommended to handle the funds had much different credentials. They were earnest, willing, approved by the churches, administratively gifted, 
diligent, cooperative, and most importantly, Christ-glorifying. Additionally, Paul explains that money matters should be handled openly, with integrity, and with transparency, so that no one could discredit them. This money belonged to God, not to Titus and his two buddies. It was to be handled with the utmost care. Other people were entrusting their financial gifts to these men, and that trust must remain sacred. Finally, Paul concludes with verse 24. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them proof of your love and of our reason and for boasting about you. Paul brings things full circle when he says that by completing this collection, they would be such a huge encouragement to other churches, just like the Macedonian church was to them. Moreover, just like Christ, Jesus Christ is to the entire church. 